a sip instead of yours. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Oh, well, hopefully, oh, well, looks like the YouTube live stream kicked in a lot faster right on time this time. And uh, Facebook's always got some weird things going. So hopefully it's it's up and running for everybody and you're you're doing good. But we'll we'll just see when we get there, huh? Oh, well, I hope everybody's having a, a good Saturday. It is, uh, what is today? It's Saturday. <laughs> it's Saturday the, the 27th. It's the last Saturday of February this year of 2021. Things are going well. Hopefully things are going well for you guys as well. Ah, So yeah, Sonny and I were out of town last weekend, so there was no no sip and study. So, but thank you guys for, for praying for us, for safe travels. Things went well. It was good. <clears throat> we are... Now fully underway in our fundraising, uh, I, I want to want to say push, but it's really for us. It's kind of a push, but our, our, I don't want to say drive either. It's we're working on a partnership program to where we're partnering with people for, for yes, for funding, but for prayer and for everything else going uh, for our mission going to Pakistan. And so we are now getting into that full steam ahead, full steam ahead. We're we're. We're getting it and and hitting it and going. Um, going hard seems weird because we're talking about partnering with people. <laughs> so it's, we're not pushing people. There's there's no mobster style uh, gun to your head moments or anything like that. But uh, but uh, we're we're this anybody who's done any kind of of fundraising for events or anything like that, you know, it doesn't matter how wonderful the event is. It doesn't matter how how godly everything is. There's still a lot of work, right? And so it is just one of those things to where we're we're looking at this going, man, we're working hard. We're working, <laughs> we're working hard. But uh, you know, right up front, if God's feeling, if God's putting that on your heart to to partner with us to to minister to people in Pakistan and and whether that be through prayer, or financial support, uh, if God's leading you into ministry and you feel that reach out to us. We would love to talk to you guys. You can drop a comment. You can uh, email. You can hit us up through Facebook, whichever way you want to. But uh, let us know. Um, we are going to be reaching out to to people as we get going and as we go through things. So if you know us, you might get talked to anyway. But if you really feel God hitting you up front, man, reach out to us. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. It's okay. Anyway, Let's move on to Sip and Study. That's really why we're here. Sip and Study. We are doing the fifth lesson in the Gospel according to John, which is the—we're beginning chapter three. We're doing basically a little over the first half, just about half of chapter three. Yes, that means we are going over the infamous John 3.16, and there's a lot to it, and there's actually something that a lot of people—I don't want to say neglect— but potentially don't realize, because it's one of those verses that's always taken way out of context. It's— not in a bad way, though. I mean, how do you take 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How do you take that out of context, right? But it, it is one of those things that there's an element that is missed, and so we're going to discuss that element as we get into this. And so this, this lesson is actually, for God so loved the world. And, oh, I'm in the wrong thing. Ah, did it again. Here we go. All right. We're going through the ESV translation again, and this is John chapter 3. We're doing verses 1 to 21, so have your Bibles ready to go. I do want to start just a touch before this, so it's not on your screen. Apologize. But if you remember in the last lesson, I realize it was two weeks ago, but if you remember from the last lesson, verses 23 to 25 are basically um, they're, they're like a, a, a preface to chapter 3 with Nicodemus here. So let's let's take this first portion of chapter 3 with Nicodemus. So let's start there, uh, 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man." Then we get into chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born? When he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil." For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen 
that his works have been carried out in God. All right, so this gets broken up into two basic sections here. We see verses 1 to 15 being born again. This is this discussion about being born again with a spiritual birth or a rebirth of spiritual nature, correct? Okay. Then we see 16 to 21, for God so loved the world. And this is that very loved, heavily quoted and pulled from section uh, where Jesus talks about why he was sent. Why did God send Jesus? Why did God the Father? I should clarify that. Why did the Father send the Son? Okay, let's dig into this because there's there's a bit, <clears throat> and I w- I want us to get through this. So let's let's do this. Verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Right off the bat, there's multiple things we need to pull from this, and we need to keep in mind while we go through this entire section, and that is who is Nicodemus? Well, we're told Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Okay, remember, a Fer- Pharisees were this really small basically like a political party, a class of Jew, very extreme with their doctrines. Like you had to do things perfectly. And so they took things to the letter of the law. They added things to the law to make it to where it was even basically harder than impossible to keep. Um, it's already impossible to keep. I mean, we're, we're told we're told that we were given the law so that we know that we sin and that we need Jesus, not so that we can try to t- try to reach perfection. Uh, we were given it so that we recognize that we need salvation. Um, but they added things to it to try to make it seem like, yeah, see, we're we're doing so good. We're doing so good. And so they, they were like this perfection class, so to speak, right? But very, very small group, but had a lot of political influence. So he's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. This phrase right here might make some people wonder, what does that mean? What that means is that Nicodemus was part of the Jewish council known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the ruling class when Sanhedrin literally means to to hear, right? To hear. And it was the council and they would actually sit around in like a a semicircle or it's kind of like a crescent. And people would come up and ask questions like, what are we doing? How do we uphold the law? What does this have to do? And they were the ones that would actually discuss what was going on with that. Okay, and they would. So this guy had a lot of power. This guy had a lot of power and a lot of sway in not only the Jewish community, but overall in the Jewish context. He's a Pharisee. He's held a high esteem. And not only is he held a high esteem, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, the actual Jewish council. So this guy is up there. Okay, so Nicodemus is a leader of the Jews. He is a leader, not the leader. He is a leader of the Jews. Keep that in mind as we move forward. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night. Okay, he came by night. Now, this is a couple things. One, John typically uses the came by night as an illustration Right, so this is an illustration of the spiritual darkness that's happening throughout Jerusalem. That's actually happening throughout all of uh, all of the Jewish mindset, throughout really the world, but the Jewish world. Okay, there is this spiritual darkness, this lacking. So this is one an example of 
of the spiritual darkness surrounding the situation. But it also is an indication and a sign him showing up at night. But showing up and then what he says, this is a sign that he actually had some sort of a timid faith. Okay, he shows up with respect and he speaks to him with respect, but he has some sort of timid faith. And we can actually say this. Um, we can actually talk a little bit about this. Uh, if we look at, go a little bit further from this. Wow, I got these out of order. Okay, we go just a little bit further in this. We go to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 42. And we can actually see something here. It says, nevertheless, many... Even of the authorities, meaning possibly someone in the Jewish council, um, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogues. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but if he believed, that would put him in a very peculiar predicament. So he's showing up at night, showing a sign of timid faith of what he's been seeing, what he's been hearing, what's going on, and and starts moving forward with this, okay? Now, moving on. Rabbi, he says, says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. First of all, he calls him rabbi and teacher. Now, these are signs of respect, especially considering, now mind you, he's a Pharisee, he's part of the council, he wants structure, he wants order. Things have to be done the right way. Jesus did not go through the typical formal rabbi training. They actually had a schooling system set up to where you would go through this school, this school, this school, and then you would go and be a disciple under a rabbi so that you could learn from them, and then you would teach what your rabbi taught. Who taught what his rabbi taught? Who taught what his rabbi taught? Who taught what his rabbi taught? Remember, this is not a a postmodern or even a modern thinking system. Knowledge comes from God, and that was it. You didn't bring new revelation. That was a very weird thing to consider. That would be seen as something really bad. So you just taught what your rabbi taught before you, which is what their rabbi taught before them. Unless, unless... There's a prophet who proclaims something different. Then you can go off of that prophet. But that wasn't the case. And Jesus didn't go through this training. In fact, we see that as as in chapter 7, verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how, does, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? They knew Jesus didn't have training. And yet he knew. He knows these things. And he talks about signs. Remember, John uses signs kind of interchangeably for miracles. It's just what he referred to them as. But most likely this is referring to the signs that Jesus was performing in Jerusalem. If we go back to chapter 2, verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Verses 3 to 6, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, truly, truly, remember, this is a stressing of authority. He's proclaiming and declaring, I have authority to say the things that I say. He's speaking with authority, and he's claiming that, which, again, very odd for the day. That's why a lot of people were blown away by that, and you'd see this, you speak as one with authority. That's not something they were used to. So truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, 
I don't know about you, but that's a really weird response to me. That's a really weird response to, we know you're a teacher from God because no one does these things unless they're from God. Yeah, well, no one, no one uh, can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, that just seems, it seems really weird. It's one of those, Jesus knows what's in people's hearts and he starts speaking to them in, to what's in their hearts and what's going on. And sometimes it just seems kind of out of the blue. And this is one of those times to me, it seems really out of the blue and it spins this very interesting discussion, right? You, I truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, this is a further developing of the children of God concept that was brought up in chapter one. I'm not going to look it up today. You can look it up later if you want. Uh, chapter one, verses 12 and 13, you see concepts of the being children of God, being born again. Unless you're born again, essentially born into the kingdom, right? You can't see this. Then Nicodemus comes back and says, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, he's taking this as a very literal standpoint, which, I mean, kind of makes sense because that's a a very Jewish response, is that literal standpoint. How can I be born again? I mean, Star Wars wasn't around. They couldn't slaughter a Tauntaun and get into the Tauntaun and then come out later. That wasn't a thing, right? That that reference would make no sense to them, right? Sorry. (laughs) I need the copy today. It's okay. It's right. we're, we're good. We're good. Um, but how he takes it literally. How can we be born again? We can't get it back into our mother's womb and be born a second time. This doesn't make sense. And Jesus answered yet again with that truly, truly, like I'm claiming authority. I have authority to speak such. So here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, there's a couple, there's actually, I would say three primary, yeah, probably three primary uh, interpretations of this. There's there's more. There are more interpretations of this, but the three main ones that that I see the most are, are these. Um, water is a representation of physical birth, and then born of the spirit is born of the spirit. Okay. So water being physical birth, right? Water breaks, you're born of the flesh. Okay. Which again, flesh to flesh, spirit to spirit. Okay. That kind of makes sense. There's water being a sign of water baptism, kind of showing that this is a, because baptism wasn't a new thing. Remember, we had John the Baptist. That was the concept of, of immersion into water to wa- symbolically wash sends away to come out and and move forward. That was not a new concept. They were aware of this concept. So, and this is something that they practiced, okay? So it was potentially a water baptism and then also saying, not only do you have to say you believe and go through water baptism, but you have to be born of the Spirit as well, which would come later. Holy Spirit has not uh, descended upon people yet. I mean, it has in the sense of prophets and such, but there's not one right now. Right. So you kind of get this. Okay. 
could be this that modern baptism and the spirit. Um, or and now this, I think this is the most likely, especially with his response coming here in the near future. Um, I believe this is the most likely of the interpretations that Jesus is actually pointing to an Old Testament reference, which, by the way, Nicodemus would and should know very, very, very well, uh, coming from Ezekiel, especially with the referencing seeing about the water and wind. Okay, this is to show that this is all from God above. Right, show that this birthing, this rebirth, comes from God above. Let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. It says, Now, this was after, this was during kind of a, a prophetic period and a prophetic time, uh, talking about renewing and cleaning Israel. Okay, but this is just Jesus saying, This is a foreshadow. Here you go. I will sprinkle wow I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean water I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and a pure excuse me and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So even in Ezekiel, this seems to be a reference from here, talking about sprinkling of clean water, and you will be clean, cleansing you from impurities and your idols, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. This seems to me, it makes the most sense that this is what Jesus is referring to. He's pulling back from an Old Testament portion that Nicodemus should know. I'm saying it one way, you're not grasping what I'm saying. Let me reference something that you should understand. Then we get into verse 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In the original Greek here, the the initial you, okay, do not marvel that I say to you. This is a singular. These are actually written differently. So this is physically in the Greek, something that we can look at, the way that Jesus is speaking here. Okay, and this is important, and part of the reason why it's important that we get back to, to the actual original languages, and we, we take this for what it was intended to be saying. Do not, <clears throat> do not marvel that I say to you, Nicodemus, you, plural, all-encompassing you, speaking more directly to the Pharisees and to the the council, but really to everyone. This is an all-encompassing, but he's speaking it in a direct, like this is to you and the council, you and your Pharisees, and even broader sense goes out, okay? That I say to you that you must be born again, okay? Now, Next part that's also interesting, the Greek word, which is also the same thing for Hebrew. It's the same thing in Hebrew as it is in Greek. The word here for wind in verse 8, the word for wind and the word for spirit are also the same word. I guess they're not also. They're, it's The U's are the same word. They're spelled differently, so one shows plural, one shows singular. But the word for wind and spirit are actually the same word. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Okay. So this this whole thing, if you put this together, has has in a context, right? It has implications for all people, all believers. Everyone needs to be born again. Now the okay. I love that Jesus puts this into the context of weather with the wind, right? You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. Even today with the sciences we have, we can actually look at low-pressure system, high-pressure systems. We can kind of get an idea. We can predict to some degrees. Um, I mean, it's not usually great, but we usually get some idea of what's coming down. But that's today. Then they had no idea. They couldn't predict what where things were going. So he uses this the wind and the weather saying you can't predict this and so it is with the spirit of God. God goes and this is kind of the point that he's getting across. God goes where God pleases. We and when he's speaking here specifically to the Pharisees, the legalistic, the super 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 legalistic we understand God and we're the only ones that understand God. Kind of that's the mindset pointing this out kind of in their face. You don't control him, and you can't predict him. You understand some of his his personality. You can grasp what he's like, but he's God, and he sees infinitely more than you do, and he's going to go where he needs to go, where he says he needs to go, not where you say he needs to go. So this must have been a real hit on the chin, being a Pharisee and a Sanhedrin member, right? Nicodemus had power, and he must have felt that he had a handle on knowing what God wanted. And Jesus, God in the flesh, right, tells him that you have no idea. You have no idea. You're, you should be the learned man, and you have no idea. <clears throat> 9 and 10. Nicodemus said to him, how can this these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Nicodemus declares he doesn't understand what's going on. This is when I'm reading this, I I can see this happening somewhat pretty fast paced, and Nicodemus most likely was kind of put off guard. This whole conversation put him off guard, and so you're going, wait, what? I I don't I I don't see where you're going from. How how is this possible? What are you talking about? And he just under, declares, I don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus rebukes him for being a teacher and not grasping. And this is the interesting part. And this is why I would say that that uh, being born, excuse me, being washed of the water and born of the Spirit. So born of the water and of the Spirit in verse 5 is most likely going Old Testament with Ezekiel is because that's actually with pretty much every commentary I've looked through. That's what everyone points to here is that Jesus rebukes Nicodemus for not for not having a grasp on Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 27. Okay. And this would be a real slap in the face considering they already know Jesus does not have the training and the teaching that they have. He doesn't have the schooling. And yet he's schooling a Pharisee who is a council member. 11 or 12. Truly, truly, I say to you. So he says again, declares authority. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you, excuse me, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly 
things. So he grasps that authority. This we in our most likely, because remember, Jesus has been roaming around. He's got disciples with him. So he's most likely referring to the we as in we and our as he and his disciples. Okay. That's that's the we. It's uh, Jesus didn't just all of a sudden start talking and, and saying we for himself all the time. Like, how many people you got in there? No, it's just we, my group, right? Because they were also going and, and teaching and saying things, right? They were following, explaining, seeing, doing things. It wasn't just, it's not just there's the one teacher and they sit and listen all the time like everybody else. They are also going and doing, okay? So we, 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 our, our. Now, in verse 12, all of the yous are plural, meaning this is not directed at solely Nicodemus, but at the Pharisees and at the council. Okay, verse 12, all of these. If I have told you all, we can go Southern here, then maybe that'll help. If I've told y'all earthly things and y'all don't believe, how can y'all believe if I tell you, tell y'all heavenly things? Does that help? Maybe that helps if we go very Southern, right? All of you, if I have told all of you earthly things and all of you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell all of you heavenly things? These are all plural, not pointed solely at Nicodemus, pointed at the council and the Pharisees. He's already digging into that. Now, earthly things, this is a reference to, most likely, a reference to the signs and the miracles, the second birth, things that we can see. I mean, you can't really see the second birth, but... You can experience it, right? Things that happen here on earth, right? These signs and wonders and miracles that have happened and then explaining some of this other stuff, right? If I can explain these things and you can't understand, you're not even understanding the wind. You don't understand wind and water. How are you supposed to understand heavenly things, which we will see as Jesus' Jesus's ascension, his second, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and so on, Right? And we see 13 to 15, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus is already pointing towards his own uh, death on the cross. He's saying things that, that would make no sense to anyone at this point. They're aware of crucifixion. They're not aware that they're crucifying him. <laughs> okay? So keep that in mind. But there's there's a bit to unpack in this little tiny section here. So let's do this. Ascended into heaven. That is to enter God's court and remain, right? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Ah. Now, I, I'm not one to sit here, especially on, on this study, to typically discuss many issues with other um, with other uh, beliefs that that claim Christianity that don't really go with Christianity don't follow the Bible okay but there are some clean and clear indications here and things that I feel we need to say that Jesus actually points to we can see it directly and clearly right here so let's take a second and go through that Jesus states very clearly here, that no one comes from heaven except for him. Okay? No one has ascended to heaven except he, singular, who descended from heaven. There's only one that descended from heaven, and that is Jesus. 
Jesus is the only one that descended from heaven. The Bible tells us that we are knit in our mother's wombs. We are created. Our beginning is there. We are not spiritual creatures in the spiritual realm waiting to come to earth. That is not biblical. There is nothing in the Bible that says anything near that. In fact, it goes against the things that Jesus himself said. Okay? Only the Son of Man, a.k.a. Jesus, came from heaven. Now, if you are into the King James Version or the New King James Version, the manuscripts that they pull from has a slight variation here, and it actually adds at the end of that verse, um, who is in heaven, which is an indication, and I kind of actually like that, to be honest with you, because it indicates that Jesus is God and God is still in heaven, right? God didn't leave heaven completely to come to earth in the form of man. That is a portion of God, right? But that element, but God is still omnipresent, right? He's still everywhere. God is still in heaven there while Jesus is here, okay? It's, it just kind of adds to the complexity of it, makes it to where it's, it's harder for our minds to grasp. But I, I kind of appreciate that, to be honest with you, but it's not necessarily necessary. Now, lift it up. When we see as Moses, in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is pointing to Numbers. This is a book that many people like to skip and don't read because it has a lot of stuff in it that nobody likes to read. <laughs> uh, but if we go into Numbers chapter 21, uh, 21 verses 4 to 9, it's really a little bit closer to 9. It actually is 9 that, that is what he's referencing. But I feel because most of us don't, I can't say most of us, but a lot of people like to avoid the book of Numbers. Um, let's get a little bit of, of clarification on this. So let's go all the way back to verse 4. From the Mount, excuse me, from Mount Hor, Mount Or, excuse me, wow, they, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So lifting up the serpent, okay, that's what he's saying. As, Miss, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, granting life, Moses lifted a serpent, forgiving sin, granting life, so must the Son of Man be lifted up to be put on the cross. Then he adds this 
ever beautiful opening. This beautiful, beautiful opening going into verse 16, which is verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus does this a lot. Drinking at the well, if you drink my living water, you'll never thirst again. Eternal, eternal, eternal. Is There's a difference between just life and living and eternal. Moses lifted up the serpent so that people could have life. The Son of Man gets lifted up so that you can have eternal life. Hey, Sip and Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. And you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. Now, this is a huge revelation before we do this. Keep in mind, we're not taking this out of context. We're looking at this in the context. This is why we do this line by line. We grab the book, start at the very beginning, go line by line, verse by verse, word by word. Jesus is still speaking to Nicodemus. They have not stopped. He did not leave. This is not a mountaintop serendipity moment with Jesus and the disciples and no one around. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people where people say, Jesus never claims to be God. Jesus never claims to offer eternal life. Jesus never actually claimed that. It was stuff that no one was around when he did that. John 3.16 was stated directly to a Pharisee council member, one of the high leaders of the Jewish people. Jesus looks him, most likely, I like to envision this, Jesus looks him square in the eye. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now look, hang on. Okay. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there's a lot of things that people like to try to nitpick with 316 to try to say, Jesus wasn't really saying this. There wasn't in the original language, this and that. No, let's, let's, let's do it. That's the whole point of sip and study. Let's look at this and actually look at the original language and see what is actually being said here. One, to me, it's an amazing thing to realize this is being said to a Pharisee council member. That's huge. Not a mountaintop only to his disciples. This was directed directly at one of the high-ranking Jewish officials who was a Pharisee. Crazy. 
to me, that changes how impactful and how intense this moment was. Now let's look at the Greek. The world. The actual word Greek for world is cosmos. We have a word that sounds like cosmos. Oh yeah, it means everything. That's because that's actually what the word means. The Greek word cosmos literally translates and means the universe, all of creation. Now, I will say this word can also mean a beauty element, that there's the adornments of the heavenly hosts, like the stars, okay? This is the adornment of beauty throughout all of creation. Like you look into the sky, you see all of it. It is the cosmos, right? All of creation, the universe. It can also mean the world. God so loved the world, this creation, the creation here. Uh, it is also used, depending on the context, it is meant to use, used and meant as all of humanity, but all-encompassing. When this is used, this is used as all-encompassing, either all of creation, period, the world, all of it, everything, humanity, all of it, Cosmos is an all-encompassing term. When it is used, it means all. Okay? All. So with humanity, all of humanity. So even if Jesus was saying people, he was saying all people. Okay? God did not send Jesus for merely a select few that he loved and or loves currently, because that doesn't stop, right? But because he loved and loves the all of creation. If it's people, all of people. If it's the world, all of the world, everything. It doesn't matter. He loves all. He sent Jesus for all. Cosmos, everything. God so loved everything. How can we add that and, and make sure that's true? Look, easy. Let's look at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. After God created everything on the sixth day, six days wrapping up, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God declared it is very good. All of creation. Because the seventh day he rested. He was done. Very good. Cosmos. All. Everything. This was big. Because up to this point in Jewish thinking, okay, the Jewish mindset was that God loved Israel. God created everything, but Israel was his chosen and select people. God loved Israel. Everyone else could be, you know the word I'm thinking. All right. God loved Israel. Jesus flips that switch and says, no, God so loved creation. That could be another word we could actually put in there. God loved creation. Now, that he gave his only son. Now, this is a reference again. We've talked about this, but let's, it's important to bring it out again. This is not like a begotten son. Now, I do appreciate that King James puts begotten in there because it does, in in the sense that Jesus being born of a virgin, a virgin uh, was not begotten by man, but was begotten by Holy Spirit. Okay? God, via Holy Spirit, 
created in the womb, Jesus was not, there was nothing sexual about it. Okay? I like that portion. But realistically, the son is to show that intimate bonding relationship between these two elements of God, these two portions of God. There is that very personal element. That's what this is. Okay. That's what that's showing. Okay. It is that personal relationship to the Father. This is not an indication of there being a separate entity. Okay, this is not a separate God. We do not have a Father God, Son God, Spirit God. No, we have Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or Spirit, all three, same God. One God. Christianity is a Trinitarian God belief. There is a single God that has three elements, or three portions, or three personalities, or three whatever verbiage you want to use. I've heard a lot. Okay, three parts to one God. But whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Basically repeating what he said in verse the end of verse 15. Love that. Jesus points again to that personal trust. This belief is a personal trust, not just, I believe that there is electricity. I believe when I flip my light switch, that light will turn on. And I'm flipping the light switch now. Personal trust. I am trusting that when I flip this light switch, my light goes on. I am trusting that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And I am trusting because Jesus came and Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I am trusting in his death and resurrection and overcoming death that that washes the sin away, and that I am white as snow. I am pure in God's eyes. I am trusting that when I stand before God Almighty, he sees his son. I have that personal trust, not just belief that Jesus lived. There's a difference. Okay. Hope that, hope that clarifies, maybe. I don't know. But this personal trust in Jesus is all it takes to not perish. Right? That all who believes in him should not perish hell. Okay, because we all die, right? Taxes and death, we're all guaranteed these things, taxes and death, but have eternal life, everlasting joy, eternity with God in heaven. Not perishing brings light to eternal life. The beginning that begins that excuse me, that begins at the time of belief. Being part of God's kingdom starts. Now, I love that, that you're not going to perish. Yeah, you're going to die, but you're not perishing. You're not going to hell. Becoming part of God's kingdom begins at belief. You believe in Jesus. You accept Jesus. You are part of God's kingdom. Your eternity starts now. Verse 17, which also is just as important, and I wish we would start quoting this with 16 as much as we hear 16. Okay, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In historic context, excuse me, especially in a Jewish context, but it was also Greek and Romans and everything. This was very similar. Okay. But in this historic context, the messenger was to be seen as being like the sender. Okay. So if a king sent, you were to treat the messenger 
like the king was walking in. You were to give them respect and conditions and, and be treated well, like as if the king walked in himself. They were seen like the sender. Okay, Jesus being the son sent by the father. This is another revelation that Jesus is God. He is like the father. He is to be seen like God the Father. Why? Because he is God. He is God in human flesh. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay. Also keep in mind that Jesus ends up sending his disciples and in lieu us, not in lieu, excuse me, but in turn us. We are representatives of Christ. Christian means little Christs, little representations of Christ. Okay. This is a reference to Jesus's first coming. Okay. For God did not send his, send his son to the world to condemn, but, uh, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay. His first coming, his second coming, he is a judge. Okay. He's returning to judge. But the first coming, he was sent to save. Okay. 18. Which, by the way, he hasn't come again. So we still only have the one. <laughs> All right. Uh, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Mind you, only. There's a couple things, a couple big things here as well. Um, we're going to push through this, guys. I know we're, we're getting up there, but we're good. We're good. There is no neutral. This is something we need to understand with, with, with how God works, and this is something Jesus is pointing to. There is no neutral standing before God. You are either for God or you are against God. Let's take a look at Matthew 12, 30. Matthew 12, 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Yes, he finishes that with, you cannot serve God and money, because that ends up being where most people have the biggest issue. Okay. Those who do not believe are condemned already. Okay. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay. If you do not believe in Jesus, there is no way to God. There's no way to Father. Jesus is saying there's no neutral ground. Okay. You either believe in Jesus and you are not condemned, or you do not believe in Jesus, and you are already condemned because you do not believe in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus is the only Son of God. We are formed in the mother's womb, as we said earlier, and do not exist prior to being created there in the womb. Keep in mind, angels are also different than people, and they're also different than God. Okay, there's a difference. Okay, but there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. There is no extra path, extra way getting to heaven, getting to God. Jesus is very clear right here. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he does not believe in the name of the only Son of God. 19 to 21, we're wrapping this up. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, 
lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Okay, light. Okay, and this is the judgment, the light. Remember back at the very beginning of this book, the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verse 5, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay? The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Many claim, this is something we need to understand here, many claim they can't or won't believe in Jesus, right? Because there's hypocrites in the church. I hate to tell you this, there's hypocrites everywhere. Okay, if that's your if that's your reason, then also don't go to the gym because there's fat people there. You go to the gym when you need to lose weight, build muscle, have a better life physically, have a better physical body life, right? You go to the gym for that. If you're upset because there are people there who are working to get a better physical body, then you don't understand what a gym's for. If you are complaining because there are sinners in a church. You don't know what the church is for. The church is a hospital. It is there. We are not perfect people. It is a continuing journey. This is a, a, what we call the churchy word. The actual word for this is known as sanctification. It is the process that God puts us through to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. Okay? This is a process that looks differently for every person, takes different amounts of time. It always ends when we die. It doesn't end until then. You don't become perfect before we die and we go to perfection with Jesus. That's it. But that process looks a little different for everybody. And we're all going to continue to sin. We're all going to continue to struggle. We're all going to have issues throughout life. The church is not a perfect people. But we follow the perfect God. Okay? So people can say they can't or won't because there's hypocrites in the church. Or they struggle with things that are in the Bible. Okay, they say that like, oh, I, I just struggle because I can't, I can't, I can't believe in this because ah, uh, this, whatever it is. But reality, when you actually dig down to the core of it, and Jesus points this out right here, the reality and the core reason, the main reason they don't believe is because they don't want to. That plain and simple, they don't want to. Their heart is not for God. They lust after other things, primarily, usually themselves, self-gratification. Sin looks good. It can feel good. It usually has really bad consequences later down the line, but I mean, it always does, but, <laughs> but, but even physically here on earth, it can have bad consequences down the line, okay? But they love sin and they love darkness more than they love the light, Remember, sin can seem desirable, it can seem beautiful, but it has a cost. And even earthly, it tends to have a cost. It's a bad thing, considered a bad thing for a reason. God said this stuff is bad for a reason, because it destroys lives. It does. Sin destroys lives. If you look at the things that are sinful, they cause problems. They cause problems in relationships. They cause problems in marriages. They cause problems in families. They cause problems. They're an issue because they're an actual issue. Okay. Now, the the thing here that some people might struggle with 
and might say, this is, I don't understand this part, would be verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Good comes from God. So those who do good, ah, Drew adding a little note here, for the sake of good. Those who do good for the sake of good already believe and aren't afraid of the light because they are coming from the light. Okay, let's take a look here at uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We also see Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. Wow. Interesting going, I am and now you are. We're both, right? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and to give the light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's the key. That they give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, Satan's key style, his main style of causing issues is to twist the truth just enough to where it still seems right even though it's now wrong. When people go and do what looks good but with the wrong reason, okay, teaching people is a good thing. But if you teach them and you're not trying to teach them in God's way, if you're not trying to teach them about God, then that can be a bad thing. Feeding people, feeding their body is a good thing, right? People need to, we don't want people to starve. That's a bad, evil thing. But if we just feed them and walk away, is that really good? Right? We can't, man is not meant to live on bread alone, right? Man is not meant and should not live on bread alone. We need spiritual. We need this holistic approach. When we go to help people, we need to look. And when people are doing help and good, we need to look at the whole. How holistic is this? Is there a physical health? Is there a mental health? Great, right? Logic, like, how are we thinking? Are we doing anything with the head? Okay. We're doing things with the body. Okay. Are we doing things with the spirit? Because we need to recognize We're made in a trinity like God is. We have a mind, we have a body, and we have a soul. We need, when we go to help people and we go to do things, we do things on all three. We should be doing things on all three, okay? We should be including the soul in the good. Because when we see people who are, because this is the number one thing you see in here. Man, I know people who are such and such belief, and they do good. They actually do maybe more good than some of these Christians. Well, then you're, the Christians aren't doing what they should be doing, for one. But, but um, that good, if they're doing that, Satan does things. Like, if we say Jesus is the only way to God, then all other beliefs are going against God, right? You're either for God or you're against God. You're either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. The scriptures tell us that, okay? 
So they're all coming from another side. That other side is Satan's side. Well, not everything is an upfront attack. Sometimes they want to look more appealing. Sin is beautiful. Sin can seem very beautiful, right? Attractive. So one of the ways he does this is to make it seem very appealing so that it draws question and doubt. So that people will sit there and say, these other people do good. So maybe I'm going to go that direction. And that's how they're stealing souls. And that's how they're stealing people away. Okay, that's, it's very scary. But we need to recognize that things that people who are doing good for God's sake, doing it for the right reason, the why matters, okay? Doing it for the right reason, they're not afraid to come to the light. And people who are doing good because they actually genuinely want to do good. If we have a conversation and we approach them with Jesus and the Spirit is approaching them as well, they're not going to be afraid to come to the light. All right, takeaway. We've been here a little while. Sorry, guys. It's all right. All right, takeaway. Four points here. Jesus declared some powerful points and declared them directly to a Jewish official who was a Pharisee and part of the Sanhedrin. AKA, he declared not only to his disciples, but openly to full-on, heavily educated people of the time. Okay. Also, we should not expect that we know who God will approach next. Just because we think someone has what it takes or could be a new believer, that doesn't mean anything. We need to put ourselves in a in a humility point and recognize we're not God. I know that seems like a very obvious statement, but we need to put ourselves there sometimes and have that little bit of humble pie. We're not God. We need to let God be God. God sees the hearts and goes where he wills. No one is too good nor too far gone for God's redemptive love. We might sit there and say, this, perf- this person's perfect, and God's sitting there looking at their heart saying, no, they got to they gotta let the dead bury the dead. They've got to sell all of their possessions and then come follow me. They, they've got a stronghold in their heart that you don't see. Or we could look at someone and say, whoa, this is the last person we want at church because this, this would make Christianity look really bad, and God's sitting there going, nope, this person is a man or woman after my own heart. They're earnestly seeking. So we need to let God be God and be praying for everyone, period, okay? We need to not pass our judgments. That's not our job. Our job is to love. John 3.16 was said directly to Nicodemus, who was, again, that Pharisee on the Sanhedrin, which emphasizes the magnitude of its impact. This was and is a paradigm shift that goes contrary to what many believed and still even believe today, that God loved the whole world, cosmos, all of it. And we also need to keep in mind that the why matters. While some do good things that appear good, if the goal does not include honoring God, Jesus, then it is lacking Doing earthly good that pulls people from God is evil. Feeding the body for an extra day to only let the person die without knowing Jesus and healing the soul, that's not honoring God. I mean, Jesus said it in Matthew 4.4, man shall not live on bread alone. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for 
for sending your son to live that perfect life, to be born of the virgin, live that perfect life, to say the things that he said, to give us the example that he gives, to call the people that he called, and God, for you for inspiring them to write this down so that we have this. And thank you for showing us, showing us yourself, showing us how to get to you, showing us that you love us even when, yeah, we, we don't deserve it. God, thank you for all of that. Be with us as we continue to go on. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, hey, thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great rest of the weekend, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Have a great one, guys. God bless. Bye-bye.